Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay episode of a conversation recorded with Dolly Alderton back in 2019. She is an award-winning journalist, broadcaster and writer and I've known Dolly since our freelancing days years ago at places like The Debrief magazine where I worked in 2014 and it's been so much fun watching her career blossom in so many different directions over the last decade. Dolly is the author of three books, Everything I Know About Love, which is now a major BBC drama, which I thoroughly enjoyed watching. Through this book, she won a National Book Award. She won the Waterstones Book Award. She's also back in the charts now again, reaching a new audience because of the brilliant TV show. Her novel Ghost came out in 2020, and she also has a new book coming out this year, which is why I wanted to replay this episode called Dear Dolly, which is a book of her brilliant Sunday Times columns with some new material in there as well. And this book is publishing this year in 2022 in October. She also has some events going on at the Barbican. She also, of course, created and co-host the weekly current affairs and pop culture podcast called The High Low, which was very much loved and is very much missed. So I hope you enjoy this trip down memory lane with Dolly. Here is the conversation. I think the first time I interviewed you it might even have been like 2016 where you were talking about some book that you were thinking about and then the second one we did live in Waterstones. When I was so hungover. And you were hungover but you <laughs> pulled it out the bag and I think you just found out it was a Sunday Times bestseller so it felt oh, like that was a yeah. bit of a moment and yeah. then now the paperback's yeah. coming out. Yeah, maybe I'll just keep doing this. Like if I get married, you can be there on the sidelines. I can go back, you know, oh my God, imagine. behind the altar and tell you how it's all going. Birth of my first child, you can be there with your headphones on. I'd love that. I was so worried though, because I, I actually read an iTunes comment recently on a podcast, which was like, do people just interview each other now? Do people not even just hang out and talk? And I was like, oh God, is this what we're doing? I know it's bad. Do you know who I have that with? My friend new Vanessa Kirby who's um, an actress, she and I, her schedule is like really full on because she's always away abroad, normally filming. Um, And she gets these like tiny pockets of time in London. (laughs) She's like one of my really close, close friends. And for the last few years, because she often has to do events with journalists or be interviewed and because she's, we've known each other for like over 10 years she'll often ask me because I know her inside out I won't make her feel uncomfortable she trusts me whatever and she's like what happens and it's the only time we see each other now and she's like what happens if from now until the day we die it's just on podcasts and fucking panel events one day soon we'll hang out with our microphone as well yeah. well the thing is we do always find a way to like sneak a drink in afterwards so definitely we, yeah we're doing both we do we do the offline <laughs> version as well what a year this has been for you that sounds really kind of nineties radio. I was about to say, it was so big breakfast. Put your hands together. <laughs> but seriously, though, I think you really have become, dare I say it, a household name. Emma, no. And I wondered what that genuinely has been like because, I mean, how many people have bought your book? Like hundreds of thousands. You are out there. Mm. Let's just say, how has that been? Because it, you must have people like coming up to you messaging you all the time how's that adjustment been do you know what it's first of all it's it's so local because it's so in a specific place with specific type of people 
you know, it's normally women my age in London, um, that it's totally fine. It's lovely. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a lovely, lovely thing. I just, you know, uh, it's, I can never be ungrateful about it because there was so long where I just felt like I had so many things to say and no one wanted to hear them. So I just felt like I was bellowing out into the night <laughs> with, with, you know, not even an echo coming back at me. So for, to feel like you're, as a writer, to feel like people are reading you is wonderful. So people come, you know, speaking to me or coming up to say something nice about the book is um, lovely. There are moments when I worry about, there've been moments when it's really caught me off guard and I worry about, I don't ever want to disappoint people. That's the thing. Sorry, that makes it sound like <laughs> making myself sound incredibly magnanimous, but as in you want to be on good form for people who are being so generous with you. And that sometimes does take you by surprise. I was like out dancing a couple of weeks ago you know in a bit of an altered state <laughs> high on life and and I was you know it was I was like three in the morning and I was doing this like mad dance with my best friend and I had this really hard week and we were really excited about going out and just like acting like maniacs and the girl came over and started being really intense like speaking really intensely to me about this huge heartbreak that she had mm-hmm. And I just felt, I didn't mind at all. Her, like I was so grateful that she wanted to, to like connect with me and chat with me, but I just wasn't, I wasn't in the right headspace to, to serve her as I would like to. So like that, that just worries me because I just want, I don't, yeah, I don't want to disappoint people. It's interesting that because it's almost like it's, it's from the book, but obvious, but also I think social media has made people believe people are more accessible than they are. Yeah. But also, you know, all of this is my own making. I make myself very visible. I share lots of things about my private life. Not so much anymore, actually, but I have done for a very long time. So I think that, I, I don't know, I think you don't, I remember saying to Bryony Gordon once, like, oh, does it, does it frustrate you that everyone thinks that they know you? And she's like, well, they do. <laughs> they do know me. And I think you can't like endlessly put yourself out there and demand people's time and be like, know me, know me. This is my story. These are my thoughts. These are my friends. This is my taste in things. This is my opinion. And then when someone tries to like make that a conversation rather than a transmission, mm. go suddenly, I'm sorry, you have to respect my privacy. You don't know who I am. Like I just don't, or you don't, you're not allowed access to me. I just think that's a really shitty attitude. It's, it's, it's love. It's totally, it's just a big change. Yes. That's the thing. It is a change. And it also, it won't be forever. I think it's just a moment in time of my life right now. And yeah, I'm just acclimatizing to it. Yeah. It's, I think it's such an interesting one as well with, I remember years ago with like YouTube culture and how suddenly these teenagers were just like, had no privacy anymore and it was like mm. lots of old school journalists were mm. like well they don't deserve privacy but they mm. felt they did and it was like so I see I think they deserve it more actually because they didn't know what they were in for the whole point is it's like I was when I decided to write a memoir I'd been on social media sharing things about my private life and writing columns about my private life since I was like 22 like I knew if it went well, what would be coming. So it's not like, this is all my own making. Yeah. And this yeah. is, and this is not what I wanted. What I, I never wanted to be a professional personality. And actually that's the thing that has 
been the worst part of the last year, last two years. But in terms of the, the people reading the book and therefore like feeling feeling like they know me or whatever in the same way that I do with everyone's memoirs who I've read and enjoyed like that was always the goal so yeah I can't now throw a wobbly about it yeah on the flip side of that as well in terms of the romantic side of things as well mm. how how does that work now it's really really it's the thing I found really difficult because I it was totally fine because I was like completely off the market when the book came out I was having a period of like 18 months of my life in my late from the age of 28 until quite recently I just wasn't dating for a number of different reasons um and it I mean I look back now I'm so grateful that that I did had that time not having to think about that stuff but that wasn't the reason why I wasn't it was more for my own sort of personal growth uh personal growth Jesus sorry <laughs> but yeah I started dating again in October and it's been it's it's been fucking weird and and yeah i hadn't anticipated how weird it is like no men have known my, my work or who i am at all that that hasn't been the issue at all um it's it's more so like here's a good example on one of the first dates that i was on so i've dated a few people in the last you know few months one of the first dates i went on a, g- a girl came up to her. It was going really well the day. And a girl came up to me in the middle of the day and um, was like being very sweet about the book. And I felt a little bit self-conscious just because like, this guy was there who I like, this was the first time we were meeting. And then she started saying, oh, and your book really helped me because I too had an eating disorder and and started telling me about that. And, and if it were, it, I was, you know, it's a great honor for someone to be, sharing their story with you but I would never have told that man that oh that's something that you learn organically about someone as you get more intimate with them that's precious information for me you know in terms of sharing our own experiences and stories and not wanting to be defined by them too early on and that's something I probably wouldn't have chatted to him about until a few weeks or months in so that was just like and obviously that's a very that only happened once, but, but it, but I did realize like, but then a part of me was like, well, that she hasn't, she hasn't like done a spoiler. Like that information is in a public domain Mm. that for him to find. So I think that I just, I think I started to feel frustrated with myself because when I was writing it, when I was writing the book, what I was, I just wanted to tell the truth. I wanted to speak truthfully. I wanted to protect myself and protect other people, but I just wanted to write truth. I never anticipated the repercussions that would have when I wanted to get to know people romantically and and feel like I had things to information to give them. Does that mm. make sense? No, it makes so much sense because that that is like an amazing ex- intimate exchange that you have with people when you get to know them early on. And I've sort of fucked that for myself now. I've had two sort of things with. <laughs> so I'm being so vague. I don't ever want to like write about my like love life again and also I've realized that I have to basically persuade all men that I meet now that I'm not going to write about them or talk about them on podcasts so this is why I'm speaking of course weirdly vague both men have said both both of them said that they they didn't want to read it and they and that they never would um and I in my head I was like but how would that work but actually 
you know, or you don't know everything about Paul's work life or you don't know everything about Paul when he was a teenager or you don't know, like, I think we're all allowed to have compartments of ourselves that our partners don't get full access to. Yeah. Um, and like our mums wouldn't read our diaries. Exactly. It doesn't mean they don't know us. Exactly. But yeah, no, that has been strange. And I think, but the other good thing is that it, I think it is a good way of, it's a good culling system for me because uh, with dating men now, because I just don't want to waste loads of time with people that's the people that are wrong. And, you know, the one of the first guys I dated who, who, who I had a bit of a thing with, I, you know, really, really liked him. And I think it was, I think it was my work that, that finished it actually. In fact, I know it is because he told me because <laughs> we're still friends now. And he, I think it was like an accumulative feeling that he had that he wasn't getting enough of me. That he, Sorry, that sounds really arrogant as in, <laughs> let me rephrase now, <laughs> that he, uh, he felt, he, he felt there wasn't enough space for, for him in my life because work, I'm in this quite intense work place at the moment which won't be forever and I think I think it went deeper than that actually I think he felt like I don't like that that you have like a bit of a public self I totally get that like there are there are some people people I know and love like some of my girlfriends I know that they're people who felt who would feel like they couldn't be with someone who spoke about their intimate past life in a public way they just need to feel like that is just for domain for them mm. or something and it and it then it wouldn't work it I just guess. wouldn't work because actually i couldn't go out with someone who hated exactly women who take selfies <laughs> i would be <laughs> you know i said to him like this isn't gonna work then and again i must stress i'm not talking about this man in particular even though no one who knows who i'm referencing i think i'm just suddenly worried that he's listening to this podcast i don't think he is but <laughs> my listenership is 89 percent women oh my god i love him <laughs> have you gone onto your instagram where yeah it said you know how many my percentage of women i bet it's a similar to mine 94 <gasps> percent mine's 96 my followers oh wow well done god i need to i really want to change that though i want more men to follow me i'm good <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Nice men. Um, right. Sorry. I didn't mean to grill you about that. I no, just no, found no, it really interesting. Like no. that dynamic of people knowing your yes, work. Yes, it is weird. And I hadn't anticipated it. And it's a very interesting thing to unpick. And I'm very new to it because, you know, I haven't dated for such a long time. But yeah, just wrapping up on what you were saying, I think that it's much more ubiquitous than we think it is that men find women who have sorted out various parts of their life with their job, with their home, with their friends, with their family, with their career, whatever. I think it's it's more insidious than we think it is of men that just don't, can't handle it. Basically. They're like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? I truly think that because, and actually that's why I love, have you watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, I need to. It's so good. And there's this line at the end of series one and my God, I'm nothing like her. I only dream of ever being like 10% of Midge Maisel. But there's a, there's a bit when her ex-husband says to her, cause he cheated on her and she's grilling him as to why, cause he wants to get back with her. And he says, Midge, you're a lot, you're a lot to take. And it's just like, it's such a simple line, but I think it really sums up this like, this like very quiet patriarchal culture that, that often exists between men and women in a romantic capacity. So yeah, it, it will be a strange place that I'm navigating, but dating is strange for everyone. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's weird. I find myself sometimes even like pretending that I can't do something in order to be like, make 
them feel like they're more needed than they are. Do you still do that now? Sometimes. Especially with like Ikea furniture. <laughs> I could See, definitely I don't do mind it myself. Doing that. I can totally be I hate it. that I do it. I'm like, oh no, I can't do it. And I'm like, for <laughs> God's sake. I love the shit you're feminist. That. Yeah, I won't edit that out. <laughs> um <laughs> Your new chapter. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I loved it so much. I also oh, love that you. it's like a ri- it's a big addition to the book actually. Yeah, it's, it's like a fat 8, book. Words, yeah. yeah, it just felt like a really amazing that you added that new bit in because it's not just a small chapter. It's like here's you know a big old section added. So yeah. love that, and Thanks. also made me laugh. There's a small bit in it where you're talking to a friend of yours in the bathroom. She's really sad about turning thirty, and you sort of smugly say, you know, I'm only twenty nine. Mm. That's me right now. Like when I'm clinging on to the twenty nine. I'm thirty in June. How do you feel about it? so weird really and so that re- that chapter really spoke to me i'm so glad to hear you say that because my friends got really annoyed with me about i think my friends thought i was doing it as like a fun bit like a way of gaining yet more attention from them <laughs> and i anticipate actually that this chapter i know that there are people in their 40s or 50s or you know generations above me who find it really galling when someone who's still as youthful as 30 mm. is complaining about not even complaining I just I just it spun me out a bit but um, you're very analytical about it which I think is anyone could read that and feel that's interesting it's interesting your insights the reason why it's so weird you can get away with things in your 20s it's mm. it's cute to be like oh I fucked up but don't worry you're in your 20s it's like you can't you don't have that same room anymore and that's mm. just a little bit like wake up call I think it's tough as well when you've you've been so defined by being young in your work that's what I think a lot of it is actually I think that being the youngest person in the room for so long yeah the youngest voice in the room you are no longer the expert on that I now just quote Gen Z (laughs) yeah but that is like I think that we need to be more forgiving of people's crises of moving into the second act of their life because it is a big moment I have to say I knew it would feel different everyone's like when you get to 30 it won't feel different the build-ups blah 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 it's felt completely different this year of my life has felt like I am in a completely different lane of the motorway and it will feel different. Well, for some people, they say they, they don't. But I think it's the same for maybe 40, 50, 60. Yeah. All, all you're talking about is a new decade. That's it. It's, and, and actually, what I've realized now, because my friend India the other day was like, what was that about? That weird time when you turned 30? Because it really did. It just sent me into like a bit of an existential. Because that idea of like, what is my purpose now? Particularly with when, as I said, with like what you are often employed for or what people turn to you for that idea of like I have been generationally evolutionarily replaced that is the that is the stuff of existential despair that's not like oh I want to like wear sexy top shop dresses and I want to have like a discounted rail card that is the stuff of like what the fuck is my purpose who am I you know it's big questions it is it really is and how do I define myself yeah. now and what topics should I move on to yeah that are more age appropriate yeah and how have I how have I been defining myself that's the other thing is that it really makes you c- confront 
how much you've been defined, you have been defining yourself by your own youth. And for most of us, not men, for most women, because that's patriarchally how we're rewarded and how this structure works that we all exist in. It's not a nice feeling when you go, oh, fuck, my youth has, I hadn't even realized. I thought I've just been like, you know, noodling around the planet, doing all this stuff of my own volition and own accord. And that it's just the essence of me. Actually, so much of this, the engine of it or the way that it's defined is by my youth. And guess what? It's it's coming to an end. That period of my life, like this thing that I hadn't even realized is such a prop for holding me up and, and and being my outline and for the way people, the prism in which people view me is is ending. It will end and it's starting to. Oh my God, it's terrifying because I think- Like you're allowed to freak out about that. You are and, and society has done this to us. I don't know, it's very interesting. On the flip side though, there must be positives because 20s are a mess, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, there are positives. And actually- I, I, what I realise now, looking back, sorry, this is what I was going to say that I keep going off on waffly tangents. Um, India said to me, what, why, what do you think that was, that period? And I was like, actually now, six months into being 30, I realised, because actually the experience, the day-to-day activity of being 30 and what it yields is the best, the best and will get better. I only ever get happier with every year I get older and most people I know say the same. What I was sad about was not turning 30. It was saying goodbye to my 20s. Right, yeah. That's what I was grieving, I think. Um, and it's it's also like a very difficult thing when like what I think we're so, we're so black and white sometimes about experience. Like I, I often wonder if it's like a social media thing. Like, what's your favorite? What's the best? What's the worst? How do you rank things? And I think people feel like if you're happy about getting older, it means that you're glad that your youth is over or you're, there's a sense of relief or something. But I think like so many experiences in life, there can be two truths that exist. One of them is I'm really, really sad. I'm not in, I'm not 21 anymore. I'm really sad about that. I'm really sad. I don't feel like I have a boundlessness of life ahead of me and the promise that anything could happen. And, and just like a childlike sense of freedom and wonder about everything and, you know, an ability to just fall in love with blindfolded and, you know, carelessly, all that stuff. I'm really sad that I'm not, I'm really, really sad. I can't like go out and get, fucking battered three nights a week and go into the office on one hour sleep. I'm sad all that's over. I'm also so happy that I'm 30 and I don't want, I don't want the former, yes. but, but both can be true. You can really miss something every day of your life and know that it doesn't serve you anymore. Yeah. Um, it's really beautifully put. So that's how, but no, it's great. I mean, the main thing is that I'm noticing about getting older um, and I've noticed it with all my friends, unless some of them have done massive career changes and had to retrain or whatever. The main thing that is so boring is just having a bit more money. By no means do I think I now have lifetime security that I will never have to be on my hands and knees going through my bag when I'm piecing together money for my Oyster card again. I know that things can change for anyone at any time. But I just had a moment recently of like, oh God, getting older is good. Things are easier now. easier. And every single person in my, in that I know in their thirties has that feeling. Things are harder in so many ways, but just like 
practical things you don't have to there's you don't have to worry you can you can be neurotic about so many other yeah. big things it's amazing what you can find to worry exactly. about even if you don't have that exactly. but in, in a work context then turning 30 this is something that i'm hoping for when i'm writing an email or something i'm still like a 20 something writing an email yeah. and that sounds weird no, 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 i no, feel I like when i'm 30 i'm gonna be like no i'm fucking i'm 30 like listen to what i'm that, saying that has happened a bit does that happen that happened a bit to me you just I love how I'm asking you for advice you're six months I'm older six than months. me <laughs> I love also that I'm this like doyen of age I'm like this wise ancient you're Buddha like, right what happened <laughs> <laughs> no but I had a similar thing that I, when I turned 30 it was like a moment in my and also I must say I'm very neurotic I overthink things I'm very like self-obsessed evidently and I'm very um, anxious and I'm very obsessed with like I'm very over analytical so I'm also aware that I don't want people to to think that I'm making like turning 30 into this grand you know this moment in life like for a lot of people they ju- it's just a passing of time and they just move through and nothing <laughs> they're like changes. I wouldn't be able to write 8,000 words on this <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm very aware this is a very personal response to a age which some people don't experience at 30 some people they experience a totally random part time of life some people never experience it at all um but i did i saw it as an opportunity i think it's not like something within the fiber of me changed i think i saw it as an opportunity of like i need to stop being so obsessed with making everyone like me Mm. i can't it has to start changing and it had slowly been changing for a couple of years but i did get I just tell the truth more now like last night I was meant to be going to this like work event and I I because I cook dinner so much I hate cancelling on dinners on the day it spins me out into terrible guilt because I know how stressful it is when people cancel on the day but I you know I've got this massive week with work deadlines and stuff so I was just like spinning out in Pandora my friend and the co-host of the Hilo was like just don't go to the dinner. I can explain why you're not there. People understand. They know what's going on with your life right now. People have weeks like this with work. It's fine. And I was like, I'm going to send them an email and tell them that I have this like gastroenteritis. Like I, I tell them I'm just like change to the loo. That's what I want you to say. Like you saw me for the high-low record and I was pouring with sweat. And I want you to say that it's like really in dangerous territory and maybe I have to go to a&E and she was just like no <laughs> that like, sounds people pleasing yeah she was like just be a fucking grown-up girl and just say this is the truth and she was like doll this was meant to be your like year of truth and so I just sat and wrote an email and I was just like I'm so sorry this is obviously for most people this is not a big deal for me it is no I, I think people like, resonate I, I had to send an email just being like I, I really am sorry that I'm dropping out I know how rude it is these are the reasons why and the woman sent the nicest email back and it just made me realise, like, we just owe this to each other. We owe more of this to each other, I think. Yeah. As well as honesty. being courteous, but just, and being thoughtful and not being so wrapped up in yourself, but just honesty. Yeah. No, it's true. And it feels better on both sides. Totally. Okay. Next question about um, writing, because a lot of people listening to this podcast are writers or creative yeah. people or are trying to find the time to make things work. I found a tweet you wrote recently so interesting and, mm. and also really resonated about how when you're a writer, you don't actually have that much time to write because of all yeah. the stuff around it. Yeah. And I noticed that Rennie Edo Lodge, who I've interviewed twice on this podcast, often talks about mm. the demands on a writer's time. I've learned so much this year about 
how I want to live and how I want to work. And the, I had this, I, I, I had a bit of a wobble in autumn last year. And I think the crux of it, I was overwhelmed and exhausted, basically, was the like surfacey reason. But at the crux of it, I just wasn't writing. I wasn't given any space to write. I just, my life became completely dominated with um, emails, answering emails, um, events, publicity. Um, it was just like, I, I think what I realized is I had accidentally made my career being a professional personality and I don't want to do that. And I have never wanted to do that. And, but these are all, no one forced that on me. These are all choices I made because I wanted to get the message out about the book. I wanted to sell the book. I loved that people wanted to hear stuff I wanted to say. I'm a person with like very, very, very low self-esteem deep down as most writers I know are. And, you know, it felt nice that people, you know, wanted to listen to things I had to say or, or wanted to engage with me in conversation. But the fact is I have wanted to write since I was like four or five years old. I've been doing it for, for most of my life. If I cannot write, if I'm not given space to write, when I say that, when I don't give myself space to write, I'm no good to anyone. Like that's the only use that I have on this earth. That's all I'm good for. So if I can't be doing that and I'm doing that and the professional personality stuff, which is unavoidable because you have to get your work out there. But if that usurps the creation for me and with the fact that I was just so overstretched and I felt very exposed, it was, it, it, I just, I couldn't deal with it. Mm. And I think the other problem is as well that people don't talk about, and this is not a comfortable thing to confess is that writing is really, really hard. It takes a massive amount of concentration. It takes creativity. It takes, um, it, what, what it really takes, actually, I've realized because I'm, I'm now trying so hard to, with, with the paperback winding down and everything I know about love kind of finishing in the spring and, you know, just looking at new projects and how I can do them differently. So writing is more predominantly in my life. Writing, I realize, is like often when you're writing a sentence and you want it to be lyrical, but truthful, but funny, but, um, but clear and concise and you want to pack all that. It, writing is like almost doing a, like a puzzle. I've forgotten that's what it's like. It's like, you know, when, you, when you're doing a simile and you want a really funny punchline to the simile and you have to sit there with, and you can feel your brain, like it's literally like doing a crossword or something. It's like solving a formula. It, it's difficult. Writing is difficult. And the problem is when you get a taste of professional personality stuff, so easy, so much easier in comparison. But if you speak to any writer, a lot of them will say they don't like the promotion of the book. They, they don't want to sit on a panel at a literary festival. They want to be at home in their crusty jumper writing. Yeah. It's something that Rennie said in response to that tweet that I wrote that I thought was so poignant is that what we ask of what we ask of writers to do the moment that their work is public is totally at odds with what is needed of them to do to create the work. They're completely conflicting things. And, you know, all the all the talky publicity, eventy, um, interviewee stuff, all, all that stuff, it's um it allows you to 
swim in quite a shallow pool of your consciousness because it's just about, um, you know, funny one-liners or a good picture or, you know, a good soundbite or whatever. And that is the, the opposite activity to what's required of you when you're trying to write something decent, which is to kind of unselfconsciousness, not thinking about yourself, the opposite of narcissism, curiosity, exploration, space, quiet, they are so different. Mm. So I think I've just realized you have to be really careful to, if writing is really what you want to do long-term, I think you've got to be really careful of, of, of like carving out time for yourself to be able to do that. And actually so much of it has been um, like really, really small practical changes that I've had to make. Um, and I'm just about to start a new email address. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's a great idea. That's but, what Rennie did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because what happens when you're a freelance journalist for like a decade, it's you just want every person you meet to have your email. Well, you're on probably every database. Yeah. So, but in what, the UK. Because I hate <laughs> emails and I find an, a full inbox so stressful. I know I shouldn't, but I've tried really hard to just go, you don't need to reply to them. You don't need to, you don't need to clear the inbox. It, I do find it stressful. So when I'm away from my computer writing for an afternoon and I know that I'm going to come back to 150 emails, 50 of which are a press release about Meghan Markle's pregnancy and then an eager PR being like, hey, would be great if you could discuss this on the high-low. Can you call me or whatever? Like that, that is, that I just have to like limit all the distractions and all these like unnecessary yeah. obligations out of politeness that, I, that in my life, I just need, to, that needs to, all of us do. Not just me, like all of us yeah. who are creating need to do that. So again, I've just realized no one's going to put boundaries in place other than you. Yes, that's. but it's true that everyone could, that could be useful for everyone because actually there are so many things I think where you could take the easy route and yeah. actually yeah, totally. for the yeah. biggest rewards you have to put in the time. So your show is at the Palladium this week. Yes. So how has that been that tour, the, the live shows? Because you've been doing it with one of your best friends. Yeah. Have you really, enjoyed it? Yeah, really, really fun. Really fun. Um, I think both of us will probably be ready for it to be done when it's, when it's, uh, well, because we'll, we would have done like 20 something no way. shows by oh, the end. Oh my God. All in all. And do you change it up every, I mean, I'm coming to see it at the Palladium. Oh, so, so excited. Oh God, I can't. Do, do you, cha do you change so it up a bit? about it. <laughs> I literally haven't slept for like five days. I was up last night just staring at the ceiling thinking of all the ways that it's going to go wrong but you've done so many it's good you know you're a pro at this now oh thank you i um i think lauren is is so charming and so funny and so thoughtful and so clever and such a good like chair and such a good conversation steerer um and it must help and not feel like work when you're up there with her. It is really fun. It is really fun. I'm very aware I've just gone on this rant being like, people need to give writers their own space and time. But no, I've never felt that about everything I know about Love Live um, because it's just sitting on stage with, yeah, one of my oldest and best friends and just larking around. And 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 also it actually people who've bought tickets, I want them to know it isn't just like larking around. There's a structure. We're not just going to be wasting your time. Um but also it's it, it because the because the show is about 
it's not just about the book. So the book is a kind of springboard for loads of other wider discussions because right. it's not an interview, it is a discussion. It's literally Lauren and I talking about themes that women of our generation have faced and sharing kind of anecdotal stuff. And um, Amazing. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, yeah, it's really lovely and fun. And also it's just like really nice to to be outside of London. Last question is about what you said recently, actually, about the sisterhood. I know you shared a uh, oh, yeah, mutual friend, Daisy's book. And actually, you've been really inspiring about talking about sort of collaboration over competition, supporting other women. Yeah. You wrote an amazing article for Scarlett Curtis's book, oh, yeah. Feminists Don't Wear Pink, yeah. about it was almost like a step-by-step of how to be a better person. Because I really experienced jealousy with other women. It's me too. Yeah. And I think it's one of those taboo subjects. It is. Everyone's like, I don't get jealous. It's like, you're allowed to. It's a mm-hmm. real feeling of, and useful feeling. If I get jealous of someone, it's just a little reminder to make sure my ratio is working for me. Totally. And also it's a reminder, like so much of that jealousy, which is what I was trying to unpack in that essay, like so much of that jealousy is not our own thoughts. It's like, it, it's like the patriarchal structure that we live in that makes women feel like there's so little space for all of us. So I think if you can kind of rationally and compassionately take a moment with yourself and be like, do I, am I really angry and jealous that that woman has just got a TV pilot out there? And do I actually really want it to do badly? Or actually have I been convinced that I'm worthy of nothing and that women are worthy of nothing and that only one of us gets a little bit of success? Probably the latter. If it's the latter, then I need to just get the F over it. Sorry, I've just realized how much I've been swearing. So I suddenly went a bit prudish. Me too. I'm going to have to put a little um, parental advisory sticker on this one. No, but it's true. And I really, anyone listening, I I urge you to go and read that essay that you wrote. It's amazing. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming back on. And letting I feel me... like I've just like blarred at you like a therapy session, but I think I do that every time that you and I do this podcast. In fact, I think all your guests do. It that. reminds me of when I think you said you interviewed Sarah Pascoe and like half of it was on the taping room floor. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like we do that. <laughs> um thank you so much and congratulations on everything with the book. The new paperback is brilliant, the new chapter is so good. Yeah, everyone go and buy it. Thanks. Bye.